Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm, I'm Josh. I'm one of the uh, eldership candidates here, and I'm going to be opening the word with us tonight. Uh, and it's a great privilege to, to bring the word tonight. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series um, across the City Light Churches, working through Acts. Um, the series is called Unstoppable, How God Uses the Church to change the world. And I'd like to give you a bit of a recap if you haven't sort of been with us uh, the last few weeks as we've journeyed through Acts. Um, So essentially Jesus has come to earth, he's died, risen, and now sits at the Father's hand, uh, at the Father's right hand. And off the back of being given the Great Commission um, to go into the nations proclaiming the gospel um, and baptising believers, the disciples are then told to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost happens um, and the Holy Spirit is received by the disciples, um, which enabled the preaching of the gospel in a multitude of languages. And as the church is starting to form in the community of believers, um, they take care of themselves as a group. They look out for one another um, to the the point that people were selling their resource um, to give to to support the needs of each other. And and we see that, um, that beautiful picture in Acts 2. Um, And many signs and wonders have been performed um, by the Spirit through the apostles, um, and many have been healed in the name of Jesus. And we came to, I think it was Acts 6, where seven uh, men were appointed to take care of distributing the food and resource um, to the community to ensure that all of the people um, were having their needs met um, by the community. And amongst these men are Stephen and Philip. Stephen, who we heard about a couple of weeks ago, um, he's the first recorded Christian martyr, um, and he died proclaiming the gospel to his persecutors. And uh, He's got an incredible story and an incredible message that he brought, and um, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, to check that out as well. And so the persecution of the church um, basically started there, um, and it drove the people out of Jerusalem. At this point in time, the church was sort of limited to Jerusalem, and and with that persecution, uh, the church was scattered out um, into Judea and into Samaria, which is almost funny, almost funny, um, as as if this was God's plan all along, uh, that the gospel would spread into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is where we find Philip. Uh, He's preaching in a city in Samaria, Uh, Many people were listening to the gospel and believing in the truth um, that it is. And quite an audience had been captured uh, by the signs and wonders that God had done through Philip. He's gone from preaching and ministering to thousands of people. And now in in tonight's uh, part of the text, uh, we find him journeying with one man along a desert road. So who is Philip? Who is this guy? We know him from Acts 6. He was one of the seven who had good reputation amongst the church. He was full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Philip was chosen by the apostles in Jerusalem uh, to to distribute the food and resource, as I said before, to those in the community who had need. And this was the criteria that the apostles required of the seven men, that they they have good reputation amongst the church, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So this is, we're beginning to get a bit of an understanding of the character um, of Philip. 
And Philip was then amongst those who were scattered from Jerusalem at the persecution uh, led by Saul, uh, but he continued to preach the gospel into Samaria. Um, and we saw that in the early part of Acts 8. Samaria was this place where the Jews would not come uh, to persecute the Christian church due to their historic rivalry with the Samaritans. Uh, So there was kind of a a safety, I I guess, there. And there Philip proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God um, and the name of Jesus Christ. Two things, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Um, The kingdom of God that he was establishing on this earth uh, that, that Jesus came to begin, um, and you know, sort of the church was born out of this. Um, and then Jesus Christ, Jesus, literally meaning God who saves, um, and Christ or the Messiah, the anointed and prophesied one uh, who Jesus was and had come to restore uh, covenant life between God and his people. So this is where we're at in the story of Acts tonight. Uh, Philip is in Samaria after many have come to know Jesus um, and now God gives him a new missional opportunity. Uh, So before we read from Acts, I'm going to pray, so I invite you to pray with me. Father, thanks so much for um, coming to this earth, uh, for dying and and, um, taking our place on the cross. Lord, thank you for your spirit who came at at Pentecost and and who uh, lives and breathe through your church. Lord, as we unpack your scriptures tonight, speak to each of us. Open our hearts and our minds um, to hear uh, what it is you have for us tonight. Uh, Lord, come and be amongst us in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 8, from 26 uh, to 40. So if you've got a Bible, uh, feel free to open up or on your phone. I promise I'll believe that you're not scrolling Facebook, you know. (laughs) I promise. It's all about trust, isn't it? All right, Acts 8, 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were travelling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptised? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptised them. I baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, 
but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was travelling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So the story begins uh, with an angel of the Lord commanding Philip to get up and to go to the desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. I think there should be a map on the screen. I find it kind of helps to get a bit of a picture of what's going on. Uh, so he's, Philip's been in Jerusalem, uh, which is kind of in the, the middle, uh, down the bottom, and then uh, he's fled to Samaria, to most likely Sebasti, which is... Um, the city was known as Samaria, but the, the whole region uh, is Samaria. And then that's, that's where we find Philip tonight. Uh, and he's travelled down uh, to the desert road that's kind of down that, on that bottom curve. Uh, we kind of read this story as like a, an in-the-middle-of-the-night experience. Um, you know, that Philip awoke suddenly and left silently on his journey in the middle of the night. Um, however, some commentators and scholars have translated this, this Greek word for south um, to be noon. So it's, it's definitely not as you know, mystified as perhaps we read it. Uh, and also the journey from um, Sebasti to, to Jerusalem uh, is about, was greater than 50 kilometres. Um, so you know, this would be the, to the start of the desert road that's from Jerusalem to Gaza, um, which is where the angel of the Lord told Philip to go, uh, but it was likely that there was more to Philip's initial journey prior to actually catching up with the Ethiopian's chariot. So it wasn't just this, you know, I'll zip down the street kind of journey that I think we often um, read this to be. There was, you know, a lot of long distance travelled and, you know, possibly was on foot, so quite a slow, long journey. And there Philip comes across this Ethiopian man um, although the term eunuch was often interchangeable between a literal uh, eunuch and an official, uh, the fact that both these two terms are written suggests that um, the terms are actually independent descriptions of this man. He was both, both definitely a eunuch and an official. What is a eunuch? Well, I'm glad you asked. A eunuch is someone who's been castrated, a man who's been castrated. Uh, and this was common practice for those who worked in service of a king or a queen um, so, this, so that the man would behave appropriately you know, amongst the queen and or the king's harem. Uh, I guess it was some sort of a control mechanism. This Ethiopian man, uh, as the text said, serves the queen of Ethiopia, which is actually modern-day Sudan or Nubia. There's, we obviously know of Ethiopia today, but that's, it's actually not the Ethiopia we know of today. Um, and this man is responsible for the, the Queen's entire royal treasury. And so this fact kind of presumes that there would also be silent characters in this narrative who travel with the Ethiopian man. You know, he's got, he's got an entourage, he's got a posse that he's, he's travelling with. Uh, and it also seemed fitting of his position that such a man would travel by chariot rather than on foot or by other means. He also has a copy of Isaiah's writings, which you know, also alludes or confirms the individual wealth of the man, um, as such kind of manuscripts would have been of great value and cost in this time. I think we kind of take for granted, you know, we've got our, our Bible or our app that costs us either nothing or 
you know, a small amount of money, and you know, this guy's spent a lot to, to hold a copy of the prophet Isaiah. All of this is to say that the Ethiopian man has great uh, wealth and great influence uh, in his country, which adds to the significance of what's to come. The question must now be asked, why then is this Ethiopian man travelling to Jerusalem, or why had he been travelling to Jerusalem? And the text says that um, he'd travelled to Jerusalem to worship or to make a sacrifice at the temple, which kind of alludes to the fact that the Ethiopian man uh, must have had some sort of belief in God or belief about God, uh, perhaps even some Jewish teaching and understanding. But he can't have had too much knowledge of the Jewish scriptures as he was seemingly unaware that he would not have been allowed in the temple. We read in, in Deuteronomy 23, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So essentially, no one who's been castrated or no eunuch would um, be permitted to enter the assembly of the Lord. And so this Ethiopian man has travelled from Ethiopia, which is sort of down the bottom beyond where this map goes, um, all the way to Jerusalem uh, to worship, uh, but would not have been allowed in the temple due to being ritually unclean. This is, I looked it up, this is like a 2,000 kilometre plus journey, and they're travelling by chariot, which moved, it's not one of those like, uh, I guess, war chariots that uh, perhaps we might think of. It's, it was likely to have been drawn by an ox and moves at a pace not dissimilar to walking or jogging. Um, so this journey, one way, would have taken almost a month. So it's a long way to go to be told you can't come into the temple and worship. Um, and despite what strikes to, to me or to us as being perhaps a waste of a journey, this man seems to still have hope for his belief in God as he had acquired and is now reading a copy of Isaiah's prophecy. And so the Lord now gives a second command to Philip to go and join this chariot with the Ethiopian man. Picture the scene, you know, Philip's running up to the chariot and, and jumping on board. Um, you know, perhaps we could liken this to a situation with a, with a car or, or one of the city bicycle taxis that we have. You know, he kind of just rocks up, hey mate, hey. Seems like a bit of a forward thing, a bit of an awkward thing to kind of do, right? As I said, it's likely this chariot was drawn uh, by an ox and therefore was moving slow enough for Philip to run up beside uh, and begin this interaction. Philip recognises the reading of Isaiah and is then invited to assist in explaining the text. Without the lens of Jesus in which to read, it is difficult to find meaning and understanding in what the prophet Isaiah had to say. Who's ever uh, bought something online that came with assembly instructions that were in another language? Yep, couple, couple of hands, couple of laughs. I've definitely done that. And then you try to read them or maybe just look at the pictures, but you can't really, can't really understand what's going on. Or, you know, who's ever looked at a tag on like a piece of clothing, looked at the washing instructions and thought, you know, it's got these little pictures and you just go, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> you know? I just want to wash my, wash my shirt. What does that mean? Sometimes we just need someone, like my mum, to come and explain what it all means. 
And I think that's the, exactly the experience that the Ethiopian man is having. He's, he's read or is reading the prophet Isaiah and he needs someone to explain. Um, and the scripture that the Ethiopian man is reading from is from Isaiah 53. It's a small excerpt. I'm actually going to read um, the first nine verses of Isaiah 53. If you've got that in front of you, feel free to follow along. It reads, Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone who people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains but we in turn regarded, regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We, have, we all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who was considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. The question that followed from the Ethiopian man presented an ideal segue for Philip to share the gospel. The subject of this text is absolutely critical in understanding what it all means. If one doesn't understand that Jesus is the sheep led silently to slaughter, the servant sent to suffer for the nation of Israel, then there can be no hope for understanding Isaiah or all of scripture for that matter. And so knowing the Lord, Philip is able uh, to interpret the text and explain the gospel to the Ethiopian man along the way. And this passage talks about the branch that was to come from Jesse's line. Uh, He was to be an ordinary man. The kings of the Old Testament were seen as handsome and masculine, often warriors. Uh, But there was nothing in Jesus Um, appearance that was desired by men. Many people believe Jesus to be suffering for his own sin, and yet he suffered for for our sins. Jesus died willingly in our place. He was hung on a cross between two thieves and was then laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We we know this uh, because we understand the gospel, right? And then looking back, at Isaiah, we see so clearly that this is the man Isaiah prophesied about. And it would seem all too great a coincidence that uh, this passage of Isaiah that explicitly points to the coming of Jesus was the text that the Ethiopian man happened to be reading um, at the time in which Philip arrived at his chariot. It's as though the circumstances under which Philip met with the Ethiopian man were orchestrated well in advance. 
It is as though God ordered this encounter and had it in his sovereign plan and will for these events to occur. We can then presume that Philip gave a pretty solid account of the gospel, covering much more than just this brief excerpt from Isaiah, as the Ethiopian man is then prompted by the water that they travelled past, that the proper response to believing the gospel that he's now heard, the gospel of Jesus, was to then be baptised. After all, it was a very long and slow journey that they were travelling together, and so presumably Philip had plenty of time to chat. And so Philip, having observed the man's belief, baptises him in the water on their way. And coming out of the water, the Spirit of God descended on Philip and takes him away out of sight of the Ethiopian man. Have you ever been in the shops with somebody and you've just stopped to look at someone on the, something on the shelf and then all of a sudden you turn around and the person you're with is nowhere to be seen? Perhaps the parents in the room might be able to identify with this one. How would you react? You look up and down the aisle, you look over to the bakery section, you go to the deli section and then to the dairy section, and then you start walking down the aisles trying to find where this person could have gone. How would you react if you were in the water being baptised and then after you come out of the water, the guy baptising you is gone? You probably dive in, right? You go, you go is this guy drowning? Like, is he all right? Where's he gone? Um, but it's as though the Ethiopian man doesn't seem to think twice about what he's just witnessed. The text says he carries on his, on his journey, rejoicing at the gift of salvation uh, that he's received. The text goes on. Philip is now in Azotus where he continues to preach the gospel of Jesus in the towns along his way uh, to Caesarea. Uh, obviously being transported by the Spirit of God was a much more normal practice uh, for Luke to be exposed to as he wrote Acts, uh, much more normal than perhaps what we've experienced, as this le- verse leaves us very much wanting to know the details surrounding Philip's relocation. But Luke didn't record these details for us uh, because being, bu- being transported by the Spirit of God is in fact not the point of the story. Philip seems to now settle in Caesarea where he starts a family uh, as is recorded later in Acts. So there's three, three points or three uh, things I'd love to, for us to take from Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian man that we've heard tonight. And the first of which um, is to listen to the Spirit. Philip listened to God without question uh, and followed the instructions that were given to him. In verse 26, um, the angel of the Lord said, get up and go. And then Philip went. In verse 29, the Spirit of God said, go and join. Um, And Philip ran up and joined the chariot. There was no further discussion uh, after God spoke to Philip. There was no negotiation entered into. God spoke. Philip listened. Think about how often we struggle to do as we're told. I've got a new boss at work, and like he's been there, I think, three weeks now. And after his first week, he gathered um, myself and the rest of my team together and sort of had a chat about the week and then asked us to start focusing some attention on working with this other particular team. And, you know, so all of us were like, and my sort of initial gut response was like, no, thanks, no. Like, (laughs) 
But this isn't an option. He's my boss and I'm his worker. He speaks and I need to listen to him. I think too about how I questioned almost all of the instructions that my parents gave me as a child and as a teenager. There's a few smiles at some of the, you know, some of the older parents in the room, uh, perhaps identifying with, with this kind of interaction. In a lot of situations, uh, I remember um, questioning those instructions. Uh, almost in a lot of them, I remember doing the exact opposite uh, of what my parents had asked me to do. What about when God convicts us of the things in our life that need to change or ways he wants us to grow? How do we respond? How do you respond? Are we ready to go? Are we ready to change? Or do we take some convincing? This isn't limited to sort of our lives here and now in 2019. Uh, it's certainly not limited, limited to um, my generation, the millennial generation. Consider how Moses responded back in Exodus to what God asked him to do. He argued with God, you know, surely I'm not the guy you're looking for. Moses came up with every reason under the sun that he gave to God um, and told God as to why he had chosen the wrong man for the job. But as we can see from, from this passage in Acts, that we need to be ready to listen to the Spirit um, and how the Spirit might be wanting to guide us. Look at the end result for Philip. He shared the gospel with a man um, who would later begin the Christian church in Ethiopia. God can speak to us in a range of different ways, through the Bible, through prayer, uh, through those in the community that we share life with, through our family, through our discipleship groups. It's a shameless plug. Get in a discipleship group. God will speak to you there. Um, through our consciences, um, through our convictions. Are we ready to listen when God is ready to speak to us? Are we ready to act upon what it is God might have to say to us? You know, are we going to respond how Philip did? God said go, he went. Or are we going to you know, continue to push back? against God and how he might be wanting to grow us, wanting to use us. The second thing I'd like to look at tonight is what does preaching the gospel actually look like? Uh, if we're called as Christians to preach the gospel, then what, is, what does this look like for us? Um, and Philip is involved very much um, in his life and, and in his journey in preaching the gospel on three different scales, very different scales. Firstly, he's preaching the gospel for the salvation of many, um, the earlier part of, of Acts 8. Um, you know, he preached the gospel and many came to believe. Many were saved. And many, of, many others throughout history have done this as well. Even in Acts, we had you know, Peter um, earlier and Stephen gave a, a massive, massive sermon. Think of the conferences that you might have been to or the podcasts that you might listen to. You know, many uh, preach the gospel for the, well, some people preach the gospel for the salvation of many. And many of us are impacted uh, by this kind of preaching, but perhaps only a few of us actually um, preach and share the gospel on this particular scale. 
The second, second way is uh, preaching of the gospel to a single person for their salvation. For a lot of us, uh, we heard the gospel for the first time when someone took the time to read the Bible with us, when someone took the time to pray with us, when someone took the time to discuss the things of God with us. And this is a calling that each of us have on our lives to share the gospel with the people around us. I think this is something that we can all um, you know, see opportunity in our lives for. But I think firstly, you know, who can you thank God for that preached the gospel to you? you know, I'll look back on my own life and I'm very thankful that my parents took the time to, um, to teach me about Jesus, to share the gospel. I'm very thankful for the mentors I've had along the way, the peers, the friends that have shared the gospel with me, that have uh, shown how the gospel could change my life. But the second question uh, that I think we need to think about is who has God put um, in your life, in our lives, that we could be preaching the gospel to? Is it someone in your family? Um, you might, might have come from a non-Christian home. Is it someone at work or at uni? Um, someone who you spend most of your life with? Or is it perhaps an old friend who has left the church, maybe was hurt by the church? Who is it uh, that God has put in our lives, put on our horizon, in our midst, that we can preach the gospel to? And the third scale that, that Philip um, preaches the gospel is, is to his four daughters. That We don't hear much of this, but we hear um, later in Acts that once he's in Caesarea, he settles down, he gets a wife and, and um, has four daughters who Acts records um, to all be prophetesses. You know, so presumably Philip preached the gospel to his children. And this is a call that God has placed upon the lives of the parents in our community as I said, it's something I'm very grateful to God for that uh, my parents took the time to do for me. But it's also something that we as a church are called to do for all of the children uh, in our midst. You know, often our conversation with and about children surrounds their cuteness or their behaviours and habits, and both good and bad behaviours and, and habits, mind you. And this isn't inherently wrong. There's, you know, it's good. We should take much joy in, in looking upon the children um, you know, who are around us. There's, there's a joy about children, right? But on the flip side, how often are our conversations with and about the children in our community about conversations about preaching the gospel to them or sharing the gospel with them, ensuring that they grow up knowing that they are so loved by their creator and by the community in which he's placed them in. The third point that I love to take from this passage of scripture tonight is God's plan, that God has a plan. It's, it's very important to realise that it was not a mere coincidence that the evangelism and conver conversion of the Gentile Christians occurred, uh, but that it was actually all part of God's plan to build his church um, and extend it to the ends of the earth. This entire sequence of events that Luke recorded in Acts 8 were carefully orchestrated by God and for his glory um, and purposes. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of those uh, like 
shows on Netflix, like the magician shows. Kim and I have been watching one recently, uh, where you know the, the magician does his illusion, and and then all of a sudden, right at the end, you see like all of the ducks were in a row, everything lined up so perfectly, and you wonder like how did that get? How did that all happen? How did everything just happen to coincidentally occur at the right time in the right fashion? Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it astounds us. We look at it and go like, wow, right? And I think the same is true of this passage of scripture. We look at how did Philip end up in the right place at the right time, unpacking this certain passage of Isaiah and have an opportunity to share the gospel with this Ethiopian man. And the events that took place are a direct result of God's involvement in the gospel movement and are in accordance with a later passage of Isaiah, which was prophesied around 700 years prior. We read from Isaiah 56, No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, Look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather them, gather to them still others besides those already gathered. It was God's plan um, to, to extend his church um, to the ends of the earth. Everything is occurring as God had planned and foreseen. You know, it was part of God's plan that the church would reach Adelaide, would reach us. And this particular story prepares us as the readers of Acts for the gospel movement amidst the Gentiles. Despite the fact uh, that the Ethiopian man was not permitted to enter the community of Israel, the new Israel under Christ welcomes all sinners in need of a saviour. And we're going to see in the next few weeks that Acts will tell us of Saul's conversion to the gospel and then his mission to the Gentiles. Everything continues to unfold according to the sovereign plan of God. And we have a part to play in this plan. God had a plan for the gospel to affect our lives as individuals. He called us by his grace. He orchestrated the events that led to our salvation. You know, perhaps it was the moments leading up to your conversation or, or that the, the time that the gospel was shared with you for the first time. God made that happen. God orchestrated that just as he did for the Ethiopian man. Um, and God gives us joy to share within our community. And now we need to be ready to share the gospel at any given point. We're not to know the plan that God has for, for our future how he might be orchestrating plans for us to make a gospel impact in the life of someone else. But we need to be ready, 
ready to share the truth that we know about Jesus' life, death and resurrection. In 1 Peter 3, we, we find this. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ as the Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So we need to be ready. We need to be ready to share the gospel in all circumstances that might present themselves. The impact could be uh, as big as reaching a nation that does not yet know the gospel and know the love that God has for his children. And that starts with one person. Someone took the time to share the gospel with you and now we're called um, to take the time to share the gospel with others. And sometimes that begins by someone else's initiation and sometimes it's our own, but nevertheless we need to be ready. The gospel calls us to be ready. And we have a great hope to share. You know, it's not like we have um, you know, a morbid message to share. Like it's, it's a great message of hope. So are we listening and responding to the Spirit and how the Spirit might be calling us? Who are we preaching the gospel to? Who is it that God's put in front of us? And are we ready for the plan uh, that God might have for our lives? Are we ready for God to use us for his purposes? Shortly we're going to come around the table uh, and remember the gospel that was shared with us. Jesus came into this world to bear our sins and to die the death that was for us. Um, And in return, God puts us in the place of Jesus, gifting us with his righteousness and with his eternal life in heaven with our creator. Jesus gave us this meal as a way of remembering what he did for us, remembering the new life that we now have as his church. If you're visiting with us tonight and believe that Jesus died in your place to give you righteousness before God, then please join with us in celebrating in this meal. If you're with us tonight, but perhaps like the Ethiopian man, you don't yet understand what God has done for you in Jesus, I'd love to encourage you to remain in your seat at this time. Perhaps ask someone around you or the person that you came with to explain what Jesus' life, death and resurrection means for you. As the Ethiopian man said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? So please, I encourage you to have that conversation if that's where you're at. And for the rest of us, enjoy um, this meal as we celebrate together the gospel, as we remember the new life we have in Jesus. We pray with me? Father, thank you so much uh, for the gift of your son, the gift of new life uh, that he's given us. Lord, thank you that Uh, We can remember that tonight, that we can come around the table. Lord, we ask that um, we can be encouraged by by Philip's journey, uh, what you called him to do to share your gospel uh, with a foreigner, with the Ethiopian man. Lord, encourage us um, as we walk to, 
to look around at the, the opportunities we have, the people around us that don't, know, don't yet know you. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to know, um, know your scriptures, to know your gospel, um, and to be ready to share this hope that we have. Lord, go with us into this week um, and help us to be sensitive to how your spirit will, will guide us and, and move us. Lord, help us to see the opportunities around us and help us, Lord, to be ready um, to share your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.